Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Hello, welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast, where we go ad fontes to the fountain, to the Word of God, to be nourished and sustained by all that God is, as he's revealed himself to us. My name is Tyler, and we are continuing to dive into the book of Job, piece by piece, verse by verse, and grapple with the God who is beyond us, <clears throat> as Job did, and this is very much has marked the last couple chapters. Um, sections in Job. I am not the expert. Job is a hard book, regardless of how many degrees you have. I have none, so just putting putting it all out there. I'm not the expert, and so we're going to, as I said, grapple with what God would have us to know in the book of Job. So last week we were working through um, the dialogue between God and Satan. And now we go back from from that peak behind the curtain to back to Job. <clears throat> so verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their older brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported. While the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down and took them away. They, they struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, God's fire fell from heaven. It burned the sheep and servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported, The Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job stood up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshipped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Much bigger body of text. There's, there's a lot to grapple with in this, but we'll be finishing chapter 1 today. So one day, when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine, in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and brought the news that... 
things were going things were going on essentially job lost everything that was described in the first couple of verses of job 1 that when it lists his his wealth he had seven seven of this seven of that so he had goats and sheep and camels he had 500 oxen f 500 donkeys a number of servants he had seven sons and three daughters all of this gone like a string of dominoes just one after the other there's almost this rhythmic <clears throat> um, component to it that it's one after the other there's there's a sequence here and I don't think there's any hidden um, significance in the order or anything like that it's just the fact that he got hammered again and again and again and each time a messenger comes back and says I alone have escaped to tell you and that is repeated one, two, three, four times. And in Hebrew poetry, Hebrew literature as a whole, really, when things are repeated, it is for emphasis. That where we as modern Americans, we would underline or we'd put something in bold, they would repeat it. That's um, case in point, Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. This is why oftentimes Jesus would preface things by saying, Truly, truly, I tell you. The repetition provides emphasis. And so the question we have is, why is it emphasized, I alone have escaped to tell you? Why? Why is this such an important piece that we would have it repeated four times? <clears throat> Job loses the oxen and the donkeys. He loses the, the livestock. Then he loses the sheep, he loses the servants, and he loses his children. Everything that we've been told thus far that Job had, he's lost. Very suddenly. And what he is left with is these nameless messengers. These anonymous messengers. We don't know who they are. We don't know if Job knows them personally. But they're not given a name in the text. And there's nothing here that would indicate indirectly that there's any real relationship here. But they're messengers. I alone have escaped to tell thee. And I think part of what that is doing is it's a poetic device that's illustrating to us that Job, in a very real sense, was alone. That his only company, all of a sudden, was the nameless messengers bringing news of the death of his kids the loss of his land the loss of his livestock the loss of his income essentially it's all gone the, your family and your wealth are gone and who what caused it what is the what, what brought this out what brought this to be? We talked a little bit last week about how causes often have layers in the Bible that sometimes it's attributed to multiple things, like with Jonah being thrown in the, the ocean. And then he says in the next chapter that it was God who cast him into the sea. Well, here with this account, we have a number of things attributed to the initial sufferings of Job. We have the Sabaeans, the Chaldeans, a powerful wind, and even fire from heaven. 
it is a mixed bag of causes. And of course, this all happened with the permission of God. Which doesn't make it easier sometimes, but it does make it true. And that's that's the, one of the harsh realities of of suffering in the life of the Christian is the sovereignty of God doesn't always make it easier when we're in the thick of it, but it does make it true. It does make it biblical. That in some some sense, God is still in control. And even to pull it out of the vernacular I would like to, I would use, we could say God allowed it. God as opposed to saying God decreed it, God allowed it. God um, used it. What you intended for harm, God intended for good. So all of these these wicked nations and these natural phenomena are all under the authority of God. And that is a hard pill to swallow sometimes. It was for Job, as we will continue to see in this book. <clears throat> But Job suffered greatly. By the hand of Satan, as it says, he is in your power, but at the permission of God. And it, it gets complicated with, honestly, with all the causes. And we can honestly lose sight of the rest of what is to grapple with in Job when we get stuck on the causes, when we get stuck on trying to logic out the Bible. <clears throat> the reality is that Job lost greatly. Job suffered. Job lost just about everything in a day. Between the Sabaeans, the Chaldeans, God's fire from heaven, and a powerful wind. And what does Job do? What is his response to such news? It says that he tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. In the ancient Near East, this is a practice of mourning. And this pops up throughout the Old Testament. Um, it says in Jonah that when the news of the prof of the message of the prophet Jonah when he said yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overtaken it says that the king tore his robes put on sackcloth and sat in ashes we have places like Amos where we're told to tear our hearts and not just our garments that there is a mourning practice associated with repentance that there's an idea of mourning for our sins of bringing our broken hearts to God. But here, this is literal grieving. This is not a repentant grieving. This is this is the posture of a man who has lost just about everything. He tore his robes and he shaved his head. <clears throat> and one of the interesting things about Job as a whole about the book of Job as a whole, is that Job says some things that a lot of us would think he shouldn't have said. Job says some of the things to God that many of us would probably say, I would never say that to God when we're not in the scenario that Job was. 
And we could definitely have that that d debate and that discussion. But God never actually chastises Job for saying the things he says. When he curses the day he was born, we don't have an outright chastisement of Job being honest in his talk with God. And I think that's I think that bears some significance as we grapple through honestly who Job is, the character of Job and what this tells us about about Christ, about ourselves. <clears throat> Christ became a man, and he dwelt among us in such a way that he is able to sympathize with us in our brokenness and in our triumphs. When things go well, and when things stink, when life stinks, Christ is still gentle and lovely. He is the gentle shepherd. He is the, the Messiah King who reigns, but he's also the, the gentle shepherd who feeds the sheep out of the palm of his hand. And with the picture of Job worshiping on the ground. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. That in the midst of some of the deepest possible pain, Aside from Christ on the cross, <clears throat> Job places everything he knows before the face of God. That from the womb to the tomb, I am his. Let's flip over to Psalm 139 briefly. <clears throat> if you've been listening to Bread of the Word for some time, we talked about this at Easter. We put Psalm 139 in context with the Song of Solomon. Now the Beloved came down the mountain. How Christ came down the mountain that we may know him. But not only do we know Christ, but we're also known by him. And sometimes to be known by God is a scary idea. Because there are things I would prefer him not to know. But he knows it all. And yet he is still here. He is still faithful. He is still merciful. He is still love. So Psalm 139, verse 7, says, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, you are there. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day, and the darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. <clears throat> Paul once wrote that if we live... We live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. 
Whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will lead this life. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Despite the fact that things are not going well, despite the fact that Job is suffering, he says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name Yahweh, the God of covenant. The God who keeps his promises, the God who sustains his people, who is faithful to his people, who continues to provide. To put it in more modern terminology, the God who continues to show up. And I don't always like the term God showed up because oftentimes it seems to imply that he's not always there. But the reality is that in application, there are times where God provides for his people in a way that it is like he just showed up. Where there is new mercy every morning. There are, He continues to bless his people. And so while the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, God is still God. So blessed be the name of the Lord <clears throat> in prosperity and adversity. It says in Ecclesiastes, in the day of prosperity be joyful. And in the day of adversity rejoice, for God has made the one as well as the other. That ultimately, every, every element of my life is before the face of God. That everything, everything I experience is in some way tied to the God who upholds the world. Whether I, I deem it to be good or I deem it to be bad, God is God. And God is worthy to be praised. He is the God who is to be blessed. May we learn from Job to take this posture. Not just when things are going well, but when things are also going poorly. That whatever we get, God is to be praised. May we worship on the ground as well as on the mountaintop. In verse 22, throughout all of this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. And this last phrase, blame God for anything, is a difficult verse to translate. That phrase in Hebrew does not carry well into English. Oftentimes Hebrew doesn't. Um, the biblical languages are complicated. and There are more individual words in the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic than we have in English. And so translation is hard sometimes. And I don't think that this particular reading of Job 1.22 is the best. There are, it's better than some. It's a little more accessible than some, but the idea of blaming God in more modern terminology has to do with um, he did it, she did it, he said, she said. And that's not what's going on here. That's not, as, as far as I've grappled with the Hebrew, with my limited expertise, <clears throat> which is almost non-existent. I don't think that the term is blame, but rather it is to ascribe unseemingly to God. And so the idea here is that not so much that Job is not attributing his sufferings to God in some fashion, because as we've seen, 
it in some real sense does come from God, while also working through secondary, even tertiary means. But in some real way, God upholds the world, including the suffering. <clears throat> However, <clears throat> in that, Job does not unseemingly accuse God. That is, he does not create a straw man God that he can argue against. He does not misrepresent God in the midst of his suffering. That he recognizes God to be God. And so when he worships in the dirt, he is bowing the knee to the God that is beyond him. To the God that can't be fully understood. The God who is incomprehensible. And so Job, in the dirt, confesses the incomprehensible God. For from him, for in him, for in him, from him, and to him are all things. In him all things hold together. And so as Job suffers, God is still God, and Job is still his. And while Job will change his tune throughout this book, and he will say some things that we would think he ought not say, that he will, in, in a sense, begin playing the victim, in a very real sense, that he, he almost starts arguing with God in a very real sense and there's some dialogue towards the end of the book but where we are right now <clears throat> this is the posture he takes that he did not take his sufferings as a license to sin nor did he falsely represent God in the midst of that suffering he did not bear false witness against the character of God he knew God who he knew who God was in the suffering. And this is why us with the Truth and Love Network, why we say things like theology matters. Because when you suffer, when things do not go your way, who God is becomes very paramount. Paramount. It is tantamount. It is paramount. I I got those two mixed up, but it really does come down to that. That when you when, when the comforts are taken away, who God is to you will become clear. That things will come to the surface. And you will find out just how precious Jesus is or isn't to you. And with Job here, we see how precious God is. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And likewise... In his sufferings, I believe there is an element to which the sufferings of Job point us to Christ, who suffered tremendously. And Job, while Job is Old Testament, he does point ahead to the Christ who suffered perfectly. And while Job's sufferings are his own, Job is his own person, they point us, there are elements to where he images Christ in a very real sense. Naked I came from a mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. 
throughout all of this, Christ did not sin, nor ascribe blame to God, to the Father. And all that he suffered on the cross, it says that he was silent before his accusers like a lamb being led to the slaughter. They questioned him, and he did not say anything. They mocked him, and he was silent. They hung him on a cross. It says in the Old Testament, Cursed is the man who is who hangs on a tree. That in a very real sense, Christ became a curse for us. Christ suffered for us. Why that if I ascend to heaven, you are there, and if I make my bed down in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take on the wings of the morning, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy hand shall hold me. Christ suffered that we could be known by God, and that we could know God. Christ suffered so that we could be his. That everything we, we have and everything we are in some real sense is God's, that we are before the face of God, that, that is where we live, is in communion with God. And so when the Lord gives and when the Lord takes away, let us be reminded that blessed is the name of the Lord. Let us be reminded of the Lord who is worthy to be praised when things are, when we are happy, when we are sad, when we are angry, when we pray like Psalm 88. I am alone. My companions have become darkness. Because for every Psalm 1, for every Psalm 100, for every Psalm 23, those encouraging Psalms we like to read, for every one of those, there's a Psalm 88. There's a Psalm 6. There's a Psalm 3. For every one of the psalms that comes out of a place of encouragement and delighting in who God is, there is also a bitter psalm about wrestling with who God is when when life is hard. And so the psalms, and honestly all the, the biblical poetry, but the psalms especially, they don't shy away from the harder parts of life under the sun, but rather the whole some of the human experience in good times and in hard times is presented before us in a way that points us to God to the God who is to the God who worketh all things according to his will according to his good pleasure and we confess and wrestle with the incomprehensible God to whom we belong and so in conclusion of this episode of Job as we have finished Job chapter 1 the incomprehensible God who is sovereign in, in adversity and prosperity has made himself known to us in such a way that when Job fell to the ground it had nothing to show. He is sitting in the dirt, and yet he is God's. And likewise, in our own dirt, in our own 
filth, in our own unworthiness, in our own inability to provide or be self-sufficient or independent, when we are unimpressive, God has still made us to be his. We are God's. Where can I go? Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? And there's nowhere. Because I am in the palm of his hand. His right hand shall hold me fast. Thank you for listening. This has been the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is a podcast ministry striving to feed people the wonderful words of God book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, striving to let the word speak for itself. This ministry is also a member of the Truth and Love Network, a diverse fellowship of fellow podcasts of different theological backgrounds united in the gospel of God. For more from the Bread of the Word podcast or the Truth and Love Network, check out the links below and follow us on social media. Until next time, God bless, Matthew 4.4.